Welcome to another ma message from on church history. This is the message number 95. And I uh, apologize for my weakness today. I've been sick for all week. This is my second message this Sunday. I usually do four. I don't think I can do it today. But uh, I am very much impressed to finish these church history classes because I think there's probably some of the most important classes that I've ever done in my life. And this is the most extended class on church history that I've taught since I taught in the seminary. We're using John T. Christian's books, Volume 1 and 2. We are almost at the end of Volume 2, but I thought I'd come back with Volume 1 and go back and teach some things. Because when I went here through Volume 1, I did almost all of it by memory. And I'm going back and reading now, not every word. We're going, we're going to start on page 212 now. And we're going to go all the way through up to King James. And I've taught about King James many times about the King James Bible. And most people don't have an inkling of an idea of what King James Bible is. It was a declaration against Baptists and against uh, Rome, the Church of Rome. Uh, the last message I taught about witches in England, Baptist witches in England. Witches means the women inspired to commit heresy. Baptists were were burned as witches and warlocks many, many thousands of times in America and in Europe from all over. They were burned, they were been crucified, they have been stoned, whatever you form and means of torture, they have been tortured for believing and preaching the Word of God. talks about Brown here now. We're talking about Brown and that uh, he uh, went and he was introduced to the the Baptist, uh, Dutch Baptist in Norwich. His new ideas concerning the nature of the church opened to him in the circle of Dutch Baptist in Newark. These regions had long been the recipient of Dutch immigration and the influx from the Netherlands had vastly increased during the reign of Elizabeth owing to the tyranny of Philip II under Mary also. In 1562, the Dutch and the Wallens settled in England numbering 30,000. By 1568, 1,525 of the people of London were of this immigration. And in 1587, they were constituted more than half of the population of Norwich. While they were largely present in other coast towns, now these immigrants were chiefly artisans and among the workmen of Holland Anabaptist. Views were widely decimated. Now Brown came in and he basically started the Congregational Church. It, he believed in the church is the body of believers. But he didn't totally, now he came out of the Church of England, but he didn't totally separate and change all of his views. He kept with that some of his views. Brown never acknowledged 
his indebtedness to the Anabaptist. Now, remember, the Church of England still dipped at this time. The Church of England still dipped. They dipped babies. They baptized babies. Baptists only baptize believers, and babies are not really believers. He said, though no trace of recognition and indebtedness to Anabaptist thought can be found in Brown's writings, and though we, we discover as no Dutch names among small number of his followers, whom we now know by name at all, the similarity of the system which now worked out from the, of the Anabaptists is so great in many respects that the conclusion is hard to avoid that the resemblance is more than accidental. On down on page 213, it says, while, they, while after they were hither and diverse of them fell into the errors of the Anabaptists, which are too common in these countries and counties, and so persistent, were excommunicated by the rest. The immersion in England was custom, not law, for in the time of Queen Elizabeth, the governors of the Episcopal Church, in effect, expressed prohibition of sprinkling and forbidding the use of uh, basins in the public baptism, in other words, little basins, where you could take water and sprinkle it. The last of all the church, shall we see, is that every church there to be a holy font, not a basin. Churches really, in the beginning, were built for one reason. There was not big water body of waters in many places, so they built churches to build a baptistry in it, which was like a, a big jacuzzi or something where you could take somebody in and, and dip them in it. It had to be a holy font, not a baptism, wherein baptism was administered, and it kept calmly and clean the item that the font be not removed, nor that the... Uh, Curate, do not baptize in parish churches or any other basins, nor is in any other form than that of prescribed as baptism. Sprinkling, therefore, was not allowed except in the Church of Rome in cases of necessity of what we call clinical baptism I talked to you before. And remember now, Calvin and Luther came out of the Church of Rome where they practiced sprinkling. They practiced sprinkling. Now Henry VIII was a Catholic and he defended the Catholic Church but he was baptized by immersion. From that time onward now we have sprinkling, clinical baptism and sprinkling and sprinkling becomes the practice in the Catholic Church and sprinkling is the practice among the Presbyterians and the Lutherans. Sprinkling is not baptism. The Church of England dipped. Baptism is supposed to be at the font. And at the font everybody knows, but why is it so called? The rites of baptism and the first times were performed in fountains and rivers, both because their converts were many and because these ages were unprovided, other baptistries, and we have no other reminder of the rite but the name, baptism, dipping. Baptism, baptizo, means to dip, to immerse. 
The Latin word mergio comes right out of the word baptizo, which means to immerse. Our word immerse comes from the Latin in English. Bishop Horn, writing to Henry Bullinger of Zurich in 1575, says baptism in England, the minister examines the concerning their faith and afterward dips the infant. He examines the godmothers and the godfather and then he dips the infant. Okay? John Brooke, A.D. 1577, gives a glimpse of the form of baptism by immersion. I believe that baptism ought to be administered not with oil or salt or spittle or such things, but only in pure, clean water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Many of the Baptists were connected with the church of John A. Lasco, which was organized in London in 1550. This was a good hiding place for foreign Baptists. The practice of the church was dipping. Now what we're doing is proving the fact that baptism was dipping. Now we know where baptism by sprinkling came from. It came from the Roman church. And where did the Presbyterians and where did the uh, Lutherans and all of them get their idea of sprinkling? Because Luther was an ordained Catholic priest. And because Calvin was a Catholic priest also, but he was not ordained. He was he preached and he pastored churches, but he was not ordained, and though he was a great writer. He did not put up with liberty of conscience. Neither one of them did. The Catholic Church didn't believe in liberty of conscience. In other words, you, if you were a member of the church and the state, you were there in that body and no, nothing, else was in, nothing else was allowed. It makes clear also on page 500, uh, 215 that the Church of England required the candidates to be plunged into water. In agos de magitur, to rise again out of them, to be dipped down below the water surface and to rise again out of them, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was not allowed to swim in the very baptismal fonts, even though they were there was enough water there, there to swim in. In 1578, an additional proof of immersion among the Baptists of England was Reverend John Mann, Immersion College, Oxford, published in English, a translation of the adaption of the commonplaces of the Christian religion by Wolfgang Muscusus. He says that the word baptism comes from the Greek word which means in English dipping or drowning. He declares the form of baptism among the Baptists to be immersion. Now I think we've had enough of that confirmation so we're going to go over to the next page. On page 216, the reign of King James I, 1603 to 1625, and this is the time in which the King James Bible was translated, was a wild time. An age of ceaseless conflict all around, of human mind, of awkwardness from the 
sleep of feudalism and the dark ages. Now remember, a lot of these people couldn't read and write. The Catholic Church didn't want anybody to read and write. Now the England had a lot of colleges and universities. But the Catholics didn't want the common man because they didn't want the common man to read the Bible because if they read the Bible they'd become Baptist. There's a problem there, you know. The Catholic Church brought on the, the Dark Ages. Fastened to, on to all the problems inherent in human society and problems which even to the present they are not half solved. In England during the 17th century men were digging down to the roots of things. They were beginning to think. They were educated. They were asking, what is the ultimate authority in human affairs? Upon what does government rest and for what purpose does it exist? But the Baptists and others were to win victories on constitutional and religious liberty into unknown in England. There was no religious liberty known any place in the world. The Baptists brought it from the seashores of Galilee onward. They had to hide out most of the time. The Baptist church in the early part of the reign of James I were in extremely weakness, in the depths of obscurity and in the midst of violent persecutions. The powers of the state and the hierarchy were combined and persistently directed to stamp out their existence. Imprisoned, banished, put to death, it was supposed for a time that they almost became extinct, but they grew in secret. Multiplied exceedingly and were found in every part of England underground. Sometimes a river flows, but it keeps on flowing. You'll just see it go away, but it's going underground and coming out in another place. And these Baptists were more underground than they were above ground. And there's a lot of underground streams. It's said by Amarod in 1605, so hold our sectaries, also uh, conventicles and private houses and secret corners, which truth seldom seeketh. And thus their plotting and plotting together, they bring few in number at the first, are grown to such a multitude as that one of their own preachers said openly in the pulpit that he was persuaded that there were 10,000 of them in England. And the number of them increased daily, every place, and all stations and degrees of life. Edward uh, Whiteman was a was burnt to the death. The Baptist petition in 1610, the House of the Lords for for wider liberty of conscience and greater privileges. The petition is preserved in the in the Library of House of the Lords and is endorsed on the back and read and rejected in 1610. Now, now the Baptists are multiplying underground. Now England is going toward the Baptists. Now we got John Knox, we got all this stuff going on back in that period of time. You look over here, and here we have in 1546 we have Luther, and Calvin 1509 to 1564, so here we have Luther and Calvin, we have the Augsburg Westphalia, we have the Congregationalists coming out, we have the Church of England here, we have John Bunyan 1628 to 1688, we have the Methodist Church coming out of the Calvinist Church. We have Zwingli, 1484 to 1531. 
These are the people that are involved now, right there. Now, there's a lot of them in England, but now, how in the world is England going to be people Protestant? King James come up with an idea. I'm going to get, uh, I think it was 52 uh, scholars, and I'm going to get them. Now, Baptists preach the word of God. Now, the English now are learning to read and write, and they're educated. They even have become, at this period of time, to, to manufacture a real English dictionary. English was what we might call an illegitimate language. It had a very small foundation, but it gathered from all sources. And nobody really knew. There were, there were not any in-depth English grammars or anything like that at all. I've got Swinton's word analysis. I've got uh, the analytical lexicon. And then the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED. It began later, but from this period of time, people were educated. They were educated, and they wanted to learn. Now, how in the world are you going to keep your people from going back into Catholicism or into the Baptist ranks? The people can read and write now, so let's give them a Bible that tells them what we believe. King James said, I want you to translate a Bible that does not go contrary to any of the doctrines of the Church of England, but emphasizes them. When they came to the word baptism, now now they had begun sprinkling later on, see? Sprinkling. We are going to disuse it. They, they said, what are we going to do? And he said, well, just put the word baptized down there. We're going to just transliterate the word. We're not going to translate it. We're going to transliterate it. Well, if we translate it into immersion, they're going to know that the Baptists are right because now they're beginning to go the, all the way of all Protestants. All Protestants begin to sprinkle now. A fusion for baptism. When they came to the word church, it means assembly. It doesn't mean church. It doesn't have the idea of a building. It means an assembly of people. They translated it church. They wanted to bring in the idea of the Catholic church. They wanted to bring in the idea that when you're born, when it talked about the households being baptized in the Bible, it didn't talk about the adult household. It talked about the households so they can include baby baptism, infant baptism. And that baptism was just a rite. It didn't matter whether sprinkling or pouring or dipping. Most humbly showing that whereas the parliament holding in the seventh year of the king's magistrate reign, that it is now, was enacted that all persons whatsoever above the age of 18 years old of age, not coming to church, should be brought into alignment, and for the refusal thereof should be committed to prison without bail mandatory church. He's going to make everybody go to church. Now, Catholic did that anyway. Now, the Church of England is doing that. They did that in America. Baptists fought hard. They were burned in America as witches. Women inspired to commit heresy. That's what witch means. But such statute the Pope is 
Dressing accounts upon taking the oaths are daily delivered from imprisonments. And divers of us also set at liberty when we fall under the hands of the reverend judges and justices. But when we fall into the hands of the bishops, we can have no benefit of said oath, for they say it belongs only to the popish recounts and not to others. <clears throat> the Baptist of 615 put forth a humble supplication to the king's magistrate. Now remember now, he has, a, he has invented his Bible already. All you Baptists out there that hold on to the King James Bible, the King James Bible, I can preach from it, and I can get people saved. The Lord can with his word. But it is a very, what we might call, colored translation. It is influenced and biased toward the Church of England. You're not baptized for the remission of sins. You're baptized because of remission of sins. But Acts 2.38, they translated exactly what they believed. And there's where you get the uh, you got the Calvinist and Armenian. You get the Armenian ideas because that influenced people because of all the different ways in, in the King James Version of the Bible. All the king's magistrates and faithful subjects as well as the Romish reconnaissance may be freed from imprisonment upon taking a said oath. And we shall still, as far as by day and night, pray that the God of heaven may be your honorable assembly, for by him the prince's decree and justice by his majesty's faithful subjects, most falsely called Anabaptist, rejected by the committee, the Baptist in 1614, this is four years after the King James Bible, but for the humble supplication to the king's magistrate. It bore the title of persecution for a religion judged and condemned. It was repented, reprinted by the Baptists of 1620 and 1622. And the epistle to the king, they pathetically say, Yet our most humble desire of our Lord the king is, that he would not give us power to force his faithful subjects to disassemble to believe as he believes. In the least measure of persecution, though it is of no small persecution to live many years in a filthy prisons, in hunger and cold and bitterness, and die separated from wife and family and calling, left in a continual miseries and temptations, so as death would be to many less persecution. Seeing that this, His Majesty conforms, that to change the mind must be the work of God, and that the Lord Bishops, we desire that they would a little leave of persecuting those that cannot believe as they do. Till we provided that God is well pleased therewith and the souls of such as submit are in safety from condemnation, let them prove this. We protest that we will forever submit to them 
and so will thousands and therefore there be any spark of grace in them let them themselves give satisfaction by word and writing or both but if they will not but continue their cruel coarseness as they have done let them remember that they must come to judgment and have the abomination set in order before them. Christ's unworthy witnesses, His Majesty's royal faithful subjects, commonly but mostly called Anabaptists. So were thousands of Baptists in England at this time, and many of them had never been out of the country for they described their condition as in prison and in persecution. They declare they were falsely called Anabaptists, and this appeal was long afterwards published by the Baptists in hours of persecution as a suitable and historical document setting forth their position. The supplication exposed by several excellent arguments, the great sin of persecution, they reject the baptism amendments as being a practice which had no foundation in the scripture. So that's a problem. They tried to put it in the King James Bible. Had no foundation except all baptisms received either in the Church of Rome and the Church of England. They looked upon as invalid. Because they had no authority. They left the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ because they received in a false church and from anti-Christian ministers. They denied the succession to Rome and declared succession not necessary to baptism. They affirmed that in any disciple of Christ in what part of the world whatsoever coming to the Lord's way, he by the word and the Holy Spirit preaching that way unto others and converting, he may ought to also baptize them. They asserted that every man had a right to judge for himself in matters of religion and that to persecute on account of religion is illegal and anti-Christian and anti-God. They acknowledged the magistrate to be God's ordinance and that kings and such are in authority ought to be obeyed all civil matters not only for fear but also for the conscious sake. They allowed that the taking of an oath to be lawful and declared that all of their profession were willing to in faithfulness and truth to subscribe to the oath of allegiance to that country. All they wanted was religious liberty. They owned that some called Anabaptists held strange opinions contrary to them and endeavored to clear themselves from deserving censure on that account by showing that it was in some of the primitive churches and some in the church of Corinth denied the resurrection of the dead. Some in the church of Pergamos held the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and yet Christ his and his apostles did not condemn all for the errors of some. But that which they chiefly inveigh against is the pride, luxury, and oppression of lordly bishops, the pretended spiritual power by which they say many of them were exposed to the complication of goods and long and lingering imprisonment and hanging and burning and banishment, all of which they say is our Confession of Faith in print published 400 years ago. I have here, which I've read to you in these classes before, the Paulician Confession of Faith in John Lawrence von Mosheim's History of the Christian Church in Volume 2. 
and it has a confession of faith that went back 1,200 years before that that they know about. This memorial document then enlarged and account and accurate, which is a pamphlet, says Price, broached evidence and astonishing progress in the knowledge of religious freedom and fully entitled its authors to be regarded as the first expounders and most enlightened advocates of this best and most precious inheritance of man. Other writers of more distinguished name succeeded and robbed them of their honor, but their title is no so good, and the moment of the service they performed on behalf of the common interests of humanity is incalculable, and that impartial posterity must assign to them due need of praise. It belongs to the members of the culminated and despised sect of the Anabaptist. Few in numbers, poor in circumstances, but they brought forth to public view the doctrines of the Word of God. We'll, st we'll stop right there on page 220. Our Father, we thank you for this little message tonight. Thank you for those people that stood for your faith in this world after you left it unto them at the seashores of Galilee and in Jerusalem. Father, please help us to be honorable and faithful to you in such a way too. Even in this time that we live in, that's so uncertain that we may not have freedom of religion tomorrow, the next day, or next week. Father, please protect us for your name's sake. Forgive us for we fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.